Welcome to Pet Lover Geek, powered by Pet Hub Pet Lovers. I'm Lorian Clemens, and today we'll be talking with one of our country's leading experts on emergency animal response, John Peveler. September is National Preparedness Month, and throughout the month, national organizations encourage families to prepare for natural disasters and emergencies. There are a variety of resources available online with information about making a plan, building an emergency preparedness kit, preparing for disasters, and educating youth about preparedness. Now, it can be easy during all of this to forget about your pet. But remember, they're part of the family. And it's an important step because what's best for you isn't always best for your pets in an emergency situation. So today, John Peveler from San Diego Humane Society is not only giving us expert tips for including your pets in those preparedness plans, but he's also going to give us an inside look at how emergency response teams help animals during the world's biggest disasters. Today, we're talking to John Peveler, the Lieutenant of Emergency Services in the Humane Law Enforcement Department at San Diego Humane Society. John oversees the Emergency Response Team, which is a multifaceted staff and volunteer team of about 160 people who provide emergency animal response services across the country. John, we're really excited to have you with us today on Pet Lover Geek, and you have over 16 years of global experience in animal welfare, primarily in the fields of disaster response and management, animal handling and capture, and community animal management. Now, you started your animal welfare career back in 2004, and it just kind of fell into your lap after I was reading your bio that you provided for us, and I would love it if you could tell our listeners how you actually started working with animals. It's such a long story, but I'm going to give you the short version. So I was I was working as a military contractor. I'd spent four years in the Air Force, and I was getting ready to go back to school. So I took a job in Kuwait, of all places, and I was on Al Jaber Air Base, which is in the middle of nowhere. At that time, there was only one road going to Al Jaber Air Base, way out in the desert. And we were like 12 Americans and like six Kuwaiti F-18s. And most of the stuff there had been blown up in the first war. So it was a pretty desolate setting. Um, and I didn't know anything about dogs. Like I'd had, I had one, one dog and one cat growing up. They didn't really form a core part of my life. Like I just, I wasn't an animal lover. And, uh, but I, I think I'm just hardwired to be a problem solver. So when we had some, some dogs show up, um, I don't know. I just, I fell in love with them, I guess. I, maybe I'm just a late, a late bloomer for, Uh, Being an animal lover, because it's definitely a huge, huge part of my life now. Um, But those dogs showed up and they were so interesting because they would they would hunt. I mean, they were way out there. There's very little for them to live on. Um, Certainly human refuse, but there's no no owners, no caretakers. Nobody's giving them food, um, completely self-reliant. But that has pretty severe limitations. And you kind of see those limitations um, most profoundly when puppies start showing up. So we had one of one of two females had 11 puppies under the shed behind our workplace. And the other one had six puppies uh, on the other side of the base. So I very quickly found myself the caregiver for ultimately about 18 dogs. And uh, I put those 18 dogs in an abandoned warehouse and built myself a little desert shelter. Not I didn't know a thing. I mean, I was a complete, complete idiot. But I knew that if I didn't care for these dogs, death was 100% going to be the outcome. Um, and this was a country with no animal welfare laws, no animal shelters, um, no animal rescues at that time, just a couple of really substandard veterinary practices. Um, so just very, very few resources. And through this process, I met 
Um, I met a couple of people who were doing some animal rescue and they were just starting to get organized and they had, they decided they were going to build an animal shelter. So they started to break ground and that sort of coincided with when I got caught with my 18 dogs, when they were inspecting the base and uh, I was given 48 hours to remove them, which honestly was, was kind of lenient considering I was occupying a military facility. Um, so these 18 dogs were the first dogs in that animal shelter. Um, and from there, once my contract lapsed, I worked in that animal shelter. Um, I ultimately married the woman who was building it um, on her family's property. And we, we built that, that organization from just a few dogs to some cats to some donkeys and eventually to some baboons and foxes and hyenas. Wow. Uh, lots of falcons and eagles. Uh, we did a lot of a lot of different programming. We got into a lot of marine conservation, trying to protect um, Kuwait's very fragile reefs, uh, the furthest north reefs in the world, um, and very very fragile. A lot of a lot of sea life and stuff, just at really really at high risk. And then just a lot of free roaming animals. Really high density of cats in the developed areas, and reasonably high density of dogs in the undeveloped areas. So definitely a lot a lot of challenges. Incredible. It's an incredible story. And I, I, and I love the fact that you found your wife after that. But I'd say that even though you were a late bloomer, clearly you dove in, you know, headfirst into animal welfare and good for you. Happy to have you on board with what we all do now. Incredible. And so you've you really started at the deep end of the pool uh, yeah. <laughs> doing this kind of stuff. So uh, we're going to we're going to tap into that that knowledge that you've gained over the years. And so let's, let's bring it back to um, what we're talking about right now, which is being prepared for um, a disaster preparedness and things like that. And, and primarily we're talking to, to folks that are here in the United States. We'll get into more international stuff in just a bit, but you know, one of the best tools that a pet parent can have staying safe during emergency and disaster uh, is being prepared with things that are pretty common sense uh, type things, but I would love it. If you could talk a little bit about those resources that are available to help the community plan, to help families plan, and how to bring pets into those plans. So basically, give us the, your top tips for pet parents on how to be prepared for these emergencies, because you never know when they can happen. Yeah, and so you, you've got to do at least a basic threat assessment, like what are the major risk factors where you live? And that's probably pretty obvious unless you've just moved to a community. And if you have just moved, ask around, like what places flood? Have you had wildfires? You know, different communities are susceptible to different things. So have some idea of what the risks are. And that should give you some idea of how much time you're going to have to prepare when one of these most common types of events happens, um, which will then feed into like how many layers of planning do you need to have? Um, I live in Southern California. Wildfire is a constant risk. You know, the, the whole state's on fire at the moment, just about. Um, and so you might have you might have hours or days to prepare because it's burning slowly towards you, and you might have minutes, and you might not even be home. So you've got to have a plan for yourself. Like if I am home, I've got my crate. I've, my animals are used to their crate. We've got food ready. Like we're ready to grab our animals and go. And if you're not home, your neighbors know, like, you know what numbers to call. So if you couldn't get home, um, I'm going to call dispatch for humane law or, you know, whoever is in your community. Who, who am I going to call to help if I can't get home? That's reality. You know, we all go out. We all do things a little less right now, but um, normal life will resume at some point. Um, and so you've got to have you got to have adequate layers for your plan just based on what your your risks are. Um, but we really, really encourage individual accountability because uh, no matter how robust your emergency services are locally, 
um, any organization can be overwhelmed. So if I have if I have 20 rescuers out, they're divided into two per vehicle, maybe. And so, you know, the number of calls that we can serve at once is, is limited. You know, there are a lot of communications and risk factors for the rescuers, and we can only get to so many properties and help to so many animals. So the more people that are individually prepared, um, that have thought this through, they know where they're going to go. They've already talked to friends and family. Um, if you have a plan, we're, we're not going to have to come rescue your animals. We'll go rescue somebody else's animals who just couldn't couldn't get out for whatever reason. Yeah, and I two things you said that I want to I want to kind of tap into. Number one is knowing where you live and what the risk factors are. I lived in Phoenix for six years. Never once in a million years did I ever think that flood was going to be one of the things that I would have to deal with. And yet uh, we have these monsoon seasons that would hit in Phoenix. And and though I had been through several, I'd never been in the particular place that I lived. And I didn't know I lived in a floodplain in Phoenix, of all things. You don't think of Phoenix, Arizona, the desert being a flood zone. But we flooded within 30 minutes of the downpour started. My house was filled with ankle deep water and we had to get out quickly and it was and I was caught unawares and so that no like if you've moved to a new place talk to your neighbors get to know that community and what are those dangers and particularly in that community because like I said you can live in a floodplain and not even know but you mentioned something else that I think perhaps a lot of people aren't prepared with and you mentioned crate and my animal feels comfortable in the crate and that's a key no matter where you live is that crate training can you talk a little bit about that and what are the benefits of having a crate trained animal and even if they're a cat cat or dog and being ready to go at the at the last minute with crate training yeah i mean we know that just in daily life having an animal that's well adjusted to a crate can be pretty beneficial especially if you're talking about a smaller dog or a cat um, just going to the vet. You know, if going to the vet is a complete nightmare because your animal's not conditioned to their crate, um, then that's that's a daily life type of thing, let alone during an, an emergency. And during an emergency, you're going to be stressed, um, and that's going to be dependent on how dire and, and uh, acute this emergency is. Is it right outside the front door, and you're trying to shove your animal in a crate, and they haven't been in a crate in six years since they came home from the shelter or whatever? Um, and also, what's what's their temperament? So if you know, my dogs are really, really socialized. If I have to show them in a crate today, they're going to get over it pretty fast. Um, but a lot of cats are not as socialized or they're not as conditioned. A lot of dogs are really scared of things just, you know, based on what they've gone through in life um, or just their personalities even. You know, so many varieties of behavior. It can be really, really hugely traumatizing to force them into a little box. Um, so while I'm not here to give behavior advice and training advice, um, the simple point is to make sure that your animal is used to going in their crate. Um, and you, there's all sorts of ways to do that. You can take the crate apart and just make it into a bed, you know, feed your animals in your crate. Um, our dogs are crate trained because we train them in crates when they're young. Um, we don't have crates out for them now, but they would have no issue going into them because we fed them in their crates for a couple of years when we first got them. Um, and that's, that's a great way to condition an animal. Like always a positive experience, just like any other training that we're doing, make it positive. Yeah. And I, and, and if you are looking for crate training resources, we do have them on padhub.com. You can reach out to your local training uh, resources, um, but definitely recommend that. We're going to take a quick little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with John about emergency response across the United States and how his team has had to shift in the midst of COVID-19. You alluded to that earlier. So stay tuned. We're going to come back in just a minute and hear more from John. Diego 
Humane Society is one of the biggest humane societies in the United States, caring for more than 50,000 animals in 12 cities within San Diego County alone, and sharing over 140 years worth of expertise with organizations across the country. John, offline, we were talking about differences in animal response among communities just here in the United States and how there's disparities across, depending on where you live, how many resources you're going to have available to you. In your experience working across the nation, what are those challenges that you see facing communities as they're trying to prepare for different disasters? Yeah, there's definitely a lack of resources in a lot of areas, and that's that's understandable. Um, if you're very rural, you probably have either no shelter or a very small shelter. So your resources are, are naturally going to be very, very limited. Um, daily care of animals in shelters is not a huge priority if you don't have very, very many animals. Um, there's also there's so many challenges that animal shelters and welfare organizations face day to day. It's really, really difficult um, to prioritize something that might happen one day. Um, and it's very difficult to prioritize funds for that as well. If your day to day is just can we feed everybody? Can we pay everybody? And can we make sure everybody is medically well? You know, if that if that's the best that you can do every day, it's really hard to be forward thinking. And that's that's really, really understandable. Um, and that's why organizations like ours um, work so hard to to support any organization that we can, whether that's information resources or actual field response. That's why national organizations exist as well um, to be, you know, in, before a disaster to be um, just a, a think tank of how how can we help you prepare? How can we make you more resilient? Can we pair you with another shelter so that, you know, especially if you're on a, a, a storm track, like we know a hurricane is coming towards you. Let's get you evacuated. Let's have a sister shelter that's 50 or 100 miles away out of danger where we, we can send your animals. So your, your building's empty. And not only does that mean your animals are going to be safe during a storm, but it means that you're going to be empty when there are needs in your community so that you're, you're ready. So it serves everybody. You just talked about hurricane, and I'd love it if you could give some examples of how a, a big national response team like you guys have at San Diego Humane can go in and help a community during the lack of, you know, d- during one of these disasters that has a lack of resources. So you mentioned the hurricanes. I mean, I know that a, a lot of times it seems like the places that are most hard hit are smaller communities with something like a hurricane or an unexpected tornado or things like that. Can you give an example about how San Diego Humane has gone in and helped one of those communities in the aftermath? Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, there, there are sort of concentric circles of, of response and um, all disasters should be managed and dealt with at the lowest possible level. That's just how the entire national system works. Um, if you can deal with it within your town, great, or within your county, awesome, within your state, even better. Um, if if it's got to be at the federal level, you know, FEMA does exist, but they have finite resources as well. Um, and the same is true for animal emergency response. So if, if you have the resources to manage your disaster locally, um, you should do so. And if you can't, then there are resources out there like San Diego Humane. Um, so when we, we go in, um, we've done quite a few um, hurricanes in the past several years, and we've done, we've done fires for forever. As long as there have been fires in San Diego County, we've helped in one way or another. Um, and we help in a variety of different ways. So we do a lot of animal sheltering. I mean, that um, is very much a core of what we do as an organization is provide shelter to animals that need it. Um, and disasters tend to displace a lot of animals, whether they're with their owners in cohabitated shelters or co-located shelters um, or on their own because the, the, the animals and the people are separated. Um, so we do a lot of, of sheltering in that capacity. We also go in, um, we, have a, we have a water rescue team that does primarily flood water. Um, so we have trained boat operators and water rescuers, and they're all kitted out to go into 
into neighborhoods and residences to rescue animals. Um, we've done we've done large animals and small animals through that. Um, we often work with national partners um, who who have a farther reach in many ways because they're constantly working that that national network of of shelters. So we work very closely with organizations like the ASPCA and HSUS, um, who have very solid national teams, um, but often need need help to spread resources where they need to get to. Um, everybody has a limited number of resources, so it's really just trying to prioritize who has who has the greatest need. Um, in, in the moment and how can we help with that? And there's just, there's so many different ways to help, um, whether it's aid distribution or animal sheltering or, or field rescue. You know, we, we try to be prepared to do all of those. That's why our team is so big, um, it's so diverse within our organization. We have a lot of staff and a lot of volunteers involved. And that's because we, we have disciplines, everything from animal care and handling specialist in a shelter to a shelter manager to a response team leader for an ASAR team. Like just so many different um, specialties. And we're, you know, we, we keep it within things that our organization can do and things that are sort of tangential to our normal um, everyday mission. Um, but we do a lot of things because we are, like you said, um, I'm, I'm fairly sure the largest humane society in the world. Um, so we do a lot of things day to day. And so we're, we're prepared to do a lot of things during emergencies as well. Yeah, you guys do tremendous services, and it's it's amazing the breadth that you're able to cover because of the, your size is fantastic. I, by the way, you mentioned displaced animals is a big part of um, these disasters, and I want to go back to that preparedness part. And we didn't really touch on this, but I, you know, here at Pet Hub, we're all about identification, and so being prepared with your pet's identification. If you've got a Pet Hub ID tag, for example, every Three to six months, you should be going on there and making sure that everything is up to date, making sure that your microchip is up to date, making sure that that tag is securely attached to the collar uh, and is easily easy to read so that should they become displaced from you during one of these disasters, they can quickly find their way back to you. Any other kinds of things in terms of like basic uh, preparedness for identification and getting pets back to you that you want people to make sure people know about? I mean, that's absolutely huge. I mean, it's such a big, big component because if you get separated from your animal for whatever reason, um, the one thing that's going to help you get through a disaster, if you've lost your home or whatever, is being reunified with your pet. Um, we see story after story and disaster after disaster of, you know, we've lost everything. Um, we thought we lost our pet too. And yet here, here's Fido or whatever. Um, so have, having those identification options, so important. I have two, two pointers and they're just the busiest dogs on earth. They're only sleeping today because it's so hot here at the moment. Uh, but their tags wear out like every less than a year. Like the, the engraved metal tags, like they've got to be replaced. And you've got to stay on top of that type of stuff. Because if someone can't read it, it doesn't do any good. And the same with the digital stuff. If you, if you adopted your animal and it wasn't updated from wherever you got it from, uh, make sure it's up to date. And the same for the license. Make sure your animal's licensed. You know, licensing does, does a lot. It's not, um, it's not just for... Um, funding, you know, local rescues or whatever they do. Um, there's a huge part of that is reunification, making sure that your animal can get back to you. Yeah. And it is that legal proof that that animal belongs to you. And so they're going to work to get that animal back to you. And especially if you're in a community like San Diego, that's lucky enough to have a digital ID tag. It's important in times like in situations like these, because you can go and update that, that information. And we've had people displaced because of tornado, hurricane, whatever, they have to be in a shelter. They can actually go update that information on the pet's profile so that when the animal is found, they can find you where you are right now, even if your house is gone or uninhabitable. So super important to, to do that yeah. for sure. And it, it creates huge challenges for organizations, too. If you can't prove ownership and there's any dispute whatsoever, we've got to hold the animal until it's resolved. And that's, you know, the animal doesn't want to be there any more than you want the animal to be there. 
but we also can't hand animals out to people who they don't belong to. So it can it can really create some problems. So get that pet license. That's a, that's a mantra we have around here all the time. So I want to touch real quickly on COVID because that's pretty much consuming everybody's life right now. It's shocked the entire world. It's really affecting animal uh, welfare community. And I want to bring it back, though, to San Diego County and what you guys are doing at the Humane Society to help provide support during this really unprecedented time. We're being as proactive as we possibly can be. So identifying that a lot of people are struggling right now, and that includes a lot of pet parents. Um, we, we always identify that animals are happiest with their families, whatever their family looks like, whether that family has a home or doesn't have a home day to day, um, doesn't matter. We still want to keep animals with, with their families. Um, that's so important. Um, to the to the animal it's so important to us so we've done a lot of aid distribution which we do all the time we did it long before covid we've ramped that up in a huge huge way um, because of covid and because of of seeing seeing the need that's arisen and predicting that that will only get worse with time um, as the the economy continues to try to grind forward Um, there's a lot of need out there so we want to make sure that we're we're in front of that Um, and the team has definitely had to make a lot of adjustments it's been really hard to do training um, we would have normally done a lot of pretty large-scale fire response training by now, and that's been really risky. And then so we were just playing that balancing act between, like, how risky is it for for the responders versus how risky is it to not be ready to do things. So a lot of, a lot of challenges, definitely. Um, and I think all, all teams and organizations are, are working through that, just trying to get the best information and try to keep everybody safe. Yeah, it's really important. And this it, it, it this is a disaster. What we're in right now is a disaster. So we're all in the middle of that disaster response right now. And and I and and I know that as of uh, the first of August, this, the just a couple of weeks ago, you guys had distributed over three quarters of a million meals to the pets in your community in response to this. So this is tr- tremendous. And we are grateful to have um, organizations like you throughout the country helping animals for sure. I think we just hit a million meals. Did you? Yes. You know, you and I, yeah, because we did the pre-work for this episode like three weeks ago. So I know it was over 800,000 at that time. So that's incredible. And, um, you know, everyone that's in your community is very lucky. And I know that a lot of communities are doing this kind of work, but it is, it's important just to put that reminder out there. If you are in a position where you can help, uh, you should be reaching out to your local humane society and say, how can I help? Maybe it's donating food. Maybe it's donating money. Um, you know, what have you, but, uh, there's a lot become of, become a foster family, become a foster family for sure. Because this is a tough time for these animals too. They didn't ask to be put in this situation. None of us asked to be put in the COVID situation, but, um, that w- do what you can to help. And we will all get through this together. Cause we're all in it together. John, uh, before we say goodbye, I would love it. If you can tell people how they can learn more about the work that you do with the animal response team over there at San Diego humane. We like to keep it pretty easy. So our website is sdhumane.org and you can follow us on Twitter at sdhumane. Um, and I don't follow all of the social media myself, but pretty much everything is sdhumane. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And and you guys have an incredible uh, education resources there. Great videos. It's wonderful. Can't recommend visiting that website enough. Even if you don't live in the San Diego area, it's a really great website to, to learn for a lot from. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Really tremendous. The work that you do out there is incredible. And uh, everyone that, that benefits from it is very lucky to have you. Thank you for all you do. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for your support. That's it for today's episode of Pet Lover Geek. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you check out our past episodes as we've been talking to industry experts on all things pets and tech. See you next time, folks, on Pet Lover Geek, powered by Pet Hub.